Welcome to the Chase MedSearch Podcast, the place where we dive deep into the medical device sales industry by discussing the current trends, timeless philosophies, and amazing experiences that shape our niche of the industry. Join me, Jordan Chase, on a guided tour as I speak with established sales leaders and professionals as they share stories that will help you get in, stay in, and thrive in your medical device sales career. Let's start the show. All right, welcome back to the Chase MedSearch podcast. Excited to be back with uh, you, the audience, for the new year. This is our first podcast of the new year, and we're starting out with a powerhouse guest. Uh, my guest today is Robin Adams, who is just a very well-known, super accomplished individual in the neuromodulation space. She's been in it since 2008. Uh, We worked together at Medtronic when I was there. Our time there overlapped. She was part of the initial launch team for Nevro in 2015 and was there almost five years. Worked at Abbott in neuromodulation as a regional sales manager for a couple of years. And Robin's name is very synonymous with well-known, well-regarded key opinion leaders fellows all over the country, not just limited to San Antonio and not just limited to Texas, but all over the country. And she's got a phenomenal background in medical device sales, has done that a long time, worked very well or or was very accomplished at Xerox before she got into medical and is a good friend. I always call Robin uh, when I've got a question about recruiting for some company down here. She's just a wealth of knowledge and, and a true friend. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jordan. And it's it's you're the same to me. I've always relied on you for information and friendship and know you will always give it to me straight. And <laughs> I'm very thankful for our friendship over these many years. It's been a long time. It has. It has. <laughs> Well, I want to dive into your background, but before that, you have uh, some very accomplished children as well, one of whom I've gotten to know recently, Abby, who is a golfer at UTA, University of Texas, Arlington. Uh, Tell us just a little snippet about your kids real quick. I always think- So Abby, Abby just graduated from UT Arlington with two degrees, with a degree in marketing and a degree in business, and uh, was on a full ride for golf. And she has recently accepted a job with Konica Minolta in Dallas, which is very strange to me since I started my career at Xerox, as you know. (laughs) And I think it's a great background for her. And I want her to make her own name and do her own thing. And and so she has recently accepted an offer in Dallas and, and she's just, she'll be way better than me. So I'm excited to see where this path takes her. You know, there's a thing. Oh, I was going to say, there's a saying in sports, uh, before we get to your son, about uh, folks that have a lot of potential. And with Abby, I would say to anybody listening, buy stock now. I have gotten to interact with her and focused, determined, a genuine delight to talk to on the phone. She's going to be really, really good. I think so, too. And and she's just, she's phenomenal. And and I have a son, Hatton, who is... um, 15 and, you know, going to be the next great white hope in basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. 
He is obsessed with basketball, refuses to play golf, even though he has a way better swing than my daughter, uh, more natural, and but he just refuses because of her background. So sure. he, everybody, all the golf coaches and are begging him to uh, to switch over from basketball, but he is obsessed with basketball. He is a statistician, knows all the history of every sport, and and I think will be a great He's a great athlete, but he's he's six two. He's fifteen. Okay, that's pretty wow. tall. I'm only five eight, so I don't know where that came from. But uh, but he's doing really good, and he's an honor student, just like my daughter was. And and they're, I'm very proud of my kiddos. Yeah. Hard to have have that going on if you're a mom in this industry for sure. Absolutely. Wow, that's great. You know, you've been just an absolute powerhouse in neuromodulation, as I referenced earlier. I always like to hear about origins. Uh, tell us a little bit about growing up. What was that like for you? A lot of uber successful people have had to overcome some challenges in life. Any significant challenges you faced down or took on uh, in the beginning? So I I was the first fam- person in my family to graduate from college. Okay. Mm-hmm. And my mom it was a single mom and okay. raised mm-hmm. me to be extremely independent and I was always smart. I was very nerdy and (laughs) I really was. Nobody believes it, but I really was. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and she just had to work her way through life and Mm -hmm. challenges. And I overcame a lot of that. And again, I was the first person to go to college. I remember being at UT registration at UT Austin and mm-hmm. I thought a five-hour class was five hours long. And I thought, that is just ridiculous. I mean, I cannot sit in Spanish for five hours. <laughs> How am I going to make this work? But I didn't understand that it was Monday through Friday, one hour. Because right. uh, nobody told me. And yep. nobody told mm-hmm. me about sorority rush or you know how to do any of that stuff. And, and so I just made my way through UT, and it was very overwhelming to me. Yeah. Uh, but I did manage to graduate from there. And and loved it. And I'm still a ridiculous longhorn, even though we have had our share of, you know, challenges recently and all, <laughs> you know, all through life, but um, still a huge longhorn fan. And, mm-hmm. and I'm proud that I was able to do that. My younger sister graduated from UT also, and wow, didn't have the adversity that I had. We had, a, mm-hmm. you know, more money back then when she yeah. went. <laughs> and so yeah. I worked my way through college. I had to pay for most of that myself and waited a lot of tables. And when I graduated, I remember thinking, wow, this job at Xerox, I can make like 50 grand. I'm going to be like rolling down the window, throwing money out of it. I mean, just <laughs> handing it out to people. It's going to be so much money because mm-hmm. I have none. And so, but I did get out of UT with no student debt and, you know, no loans and, um, it's fantastic. Get the, got that first job. And, and, but so, yeah, there was a lot of adversity and just learning what to do in life and what kind of job you could get. And I, you know, looking back, I wish I would have gone to law school or med school or, but that wasn't an option. I mm-hmm. needed to get to work. Well, it worked out really well. It did. E- it either did. way. And your mom obviously instilled so many tremendous values in you. What an accomplishment. You're not one to back away from a challenge at all. You spent nine, I have in my notes, nine with an exclamation point, years working for Xerox. I typically tell people to stay at least two or three years in a job like that. You you spent nine years. You won five president's clubs by my count before you went into medical. Tell our audience about that experience, because when I think of Xerox, I think of exceptional sales training. Amazing. Uh, and, Amazing. And the pressure. 
to go along with it. What, what did you what did you take out of that experience? That's so, almost a decade. When you when you first start at Xerox, you basically back then were given a zip code. Like here's your zip code, and if there's a big account in that zip code, you do not have that account. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you are <laughs> that's not yours. That's mm-hmm. someone else's. That's more experienced, and so you had to basically just you know learn how to get told no a lot. And but that training program and Xerox is notorious for this because they invented the fax machine and you know mm-hmm. the copier and and then somehow managed to almost run themselves out of business. Um, but they had a place called Xerox Document University, and I'm not making that up, in Leesburg, <laughs> Virginia, and it was this um, incredible facility. And they ended up leasing it out, and the military used it, and a lot of other companies used it for training. But when I went through training at Xerox. They had every competitive product in the in those demo rooms, and you had to do a presentation as if you were the competitive sales. Mm. And mm. what would you be? You know, how would you sell against this? And you have to realize, spin selling, spin selling, and um, you know, consultative selling. Those were all Xerox branded training programs, wow. and they were incredible. And they just they had all this great technology, and they just and great training and they just didn't know how to market it. They were like, Oh, hmm. icon based computing. That's cool. Hmm. I wonder if somebody would use that like Apple. <laughs> how weird. Yeah. So, but it was a, it was where I learned how to be a sales rep and, and we called it the bullpen where we sat with these sales reps and we sat in this office. I'll have to send you a picture cause it's pretty funny. Of yes. me in the bullpen. I and guess, yes. Those were some of the best salespeople I've ever worked with. Those people mm. could sell anything and and they were just phenomenal. I mean, and I can tell you those people that were in that bullpen with me at that point are amazingly successful today. Yeah. And yeah. it was just a great environment. It was fun. I was young and single and and it was just that's where I learned how to sell. Yeah. I'm just picturing some kind of movie in my head with from the 70s. I know you're you're much younger than that, but well, just like right, but yeah. in, in, in the, you know, kind of the, I don't know why Anchorman scenes are going through my head, but just, I can see that, you know, kind of a wild, free, fun environment and, and a yeah. lot of, a lot of drive and determination and motivation. And the, and the, the VP wanted us all to get BMWs because he wanted you in debt <laughs> so that you needed to sell stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And it was just, it was, it was a blast. And we all came into the office and I think that's missing from today. You know, we all came into the bullpen, Mm -hmm. so to speak, and we sat in the office and we planned our day out and we went out and we knew we kind of had each other's back. And we used to do this thing called a territory blitz where you would pick a territory. Let's say it's Jordan Chase's territory and you have, you know, this area, you only cover legal and we would take every sales rep within Xerox in San Antonio and blast your market and then come back with leads. And I think it's brilliant. <laughs> That's fantastic. And we'd have to report back. And I, of course, always wanted to win the conference, of course. whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was a great time. And I, I look back on that on those days. And now that Abby is starting her job in that similar mm-hmm. field, it's it's really funny to watch. The, yeah. the circle of life a little bit, but great, great training, amazing company invented the technology we, we compete in today. Yeah. You know, five presidents clubs at Xerox. I got to know, what does it take to do that? Because I think you're as successful as anyone I've ever known that worked at Xerox. I don't think I've ever seen that before on a resume. 
Oh, there's been plenty. There's been plenty. I don't know. I think you have to invent your brand as a person, even at Xerox, you know, who are you going to be as, as Robin Adams or back Mm -hmm. then it was Robin Fry, but you know, who, what's your brand? And I always tried to do what was right, Mm -hmm. but certainly take care of the account. And then, and as later in neuromodulation, that means take care of the patient. Yeah. And I think you, I think you just have to have this overwhelming desire to, to not be mainstream, to, mm, to do something okay. more than what's expected, but to mm-hmm. go beyond. Tell me about that. Not go mainstream. Uh, what does that look like on a day-to-day practical level with an account? So I think that the, you know, the willingness to absolutely help them, no matter what the circumstance is, if, if it's in neuromodulation or if it's a Xerox, I will be there. I will help you through this challenge you're, you're encountering and do whatever it takes to fix it. And I, I don't think in today's day, all, all of the reps do that anymore. I think we, we are a survivalist culture Mm -hmm. and we, maybe we're the sole income provider for our family and our spouse needs to go to Trader Joe's or Target and yeah. I can't lose this income. So I have to survive. So I can't upset the status quo and do something different or challenge the way something's being done. And I've always been a bit of a challenger mm-hmm. on the way things are done. Yeah. And, and that's word. good and bad. Yeah. Well, it'll bite you sometimes, but overall, I think you win. I think so. Because you stand out to the customer and they're like, she's different. And I, you and I have a mutual friend in common down here who is at the VA. Yeah. Fantastic guy. I knew him through a a church we used to attend together. And I can tell you when he found out I was in medical devices, your name was the first name that he brought (laughs) up immediately. He said, she's unlike anyone I have ever experienced calling on me that, that has been an industry rep. He goes, she's very unique. And, Which is uh, so funny because he is the, of all the doctors I have worked with over the years, and I adore him, he's very hard to talk to sometimes. <laughs> very by the book. He's not that I wouldn't be, but he's, mm-hmm. you know, he got, he used to get upset because Dr. Pruitt, who passed away, who I learned a ton from in neuromodulation, mm-hmm. uh, we used to share a Diet Coke every Monday morning and talk <laughs> about the patients. And he was like, you can't buy him a Diet Coke. Mm. And I said, well, can you give me 75 cents? And I go downstairs and get him one. I mean, this isn't about me trying to buy him. Right. Something. It's, I, this is our thing. Oh, we wow. sit and have a Diet Coke and talk about patients. Yeah. And so I always found it surprising that he spoke well of me because I honestly had no idea what his thoughts Huge were. Huge fan. Huge yeah. fan. I have, I, I had for a long time a text message from him about you and just <laughs> the, the difference that you make. And the way you go about making that difference. So I think that goes back to what you're talking about with uh, with even those early days at Xerox were not being part of mainstream. At what point, I mean, you're having enormous success here. You've been at Xerox almost a decade. What got you kind of making the mental turn that medical device sales was the direction you wanted to take your career? So I felt like I had maximized my, not just income potential, but really potential at Xerox. And mm-hmm. and there was a point where I felt like I want to sell something that makes a difference in someone's life, mm-hmm. not just sell a million dollar printer because I can, yeah. um, but also something that really makes an impact. And mm-hmm. so I, I was very interested in medical because of that. And 
I had a recruiter. I had multiple recruiters reach out to me. They like they like people that sold. Oh cars, yes, they yes, do. Yeah, guilty. They do. Yeah. <laughs> and and I just said, yeah, I want. I do want to do medical device. I, I want to make a difference in someone's life and and be a part of a technology that that impacts someone on a different level, other than you know it's a beautiful color variable mm-hmm. data print. Um, so when I got the call for us surgical, boy, did I not know what I was getting into. (laughs) (laughs) That is a dog eat dog. Nobody's nice. Ethicon versus us surgical. Get ready. I mean, that is a battle. And again, us surgical is in an environment where they develop this technology or a Russian physician did us Mm -hmm. surgical bought it, but that's a GPO based you know, all or nothing type of sales. And boy, it was hostile. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you're going in to convert an entire hospital that has no desire for you to be there. Well, even before we get into that, I I am quite sure that their interview process was strenuous. What was that Horrible. like? And they kept calling him cases. And I thought, I don't know what you mean by a case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just had no idea. Yeah. Like, what is a case? Yeah. But and, it was, it was, at a, it, I assume it was a marathon and not a sprint in that interview process. Take our audience through that a little bit, because I think people underestimate how difficult it is to get into medical device sales. Agreed. Uh, it seems like every, every day I get contacted about it. And in the, the days you were in at that time, it was even harder. And it was, it was much more, like you said, use the word hostile. I think that maybe has gone away to some extent. But but just paint a picture for us of what it was like interviewing for a medical device job then. But it was crazy. So I was actually visiting my grandparents who lived in Washington State, where, where my dad's side of the family was from, and they were on a, a private island with very limited dial-up capability. Mm-hmm. And so I had this interview opportunity, and of course my grandfather kept saying, "You have a good job. <laughs> why would you? <laughs> why are you interviewing?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "This is not the time, Grandpa." And so I'm dialing up and trying to take a personality test online and it keeps Uh, kicking me out. And when I thought personality test, I thought like a, you know, whatever we know now, but I didn't know that back then. And it wasn't just a personality test. It was grueling and Mm -hmm. math questions and crazy analytical, take this spreadsheet and break it down. And this Mm -hmm. was even to get you to a baseline interview with this company. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was tough and I kept mm. getting kicked off and I was oh. like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> and so I was traveling with my kids back, uh, from Washington, from Hat Island. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I look terrible. I'm wearing, you know, yoga clothes or back then it wasn't that, but, and, and then the next day I'm flying to Denver to meet with Mike Marcinic, who was the VP for us surgical in an, in a Denver airport. Mm-hmm. And he is grueling me on sales and, yeah. Do you want to be the first demo or the last demo? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what is it? Can you rephrase the question? <laughs> and yeah. it was tough. It mm-hmm. was a, I, I, and man, when I got that job, I was so, I felt so proud. And we you had to go it. for six weeks to Norwalk, Connecticut um, for training in person. You're gone for six weeks. You cannot fly home on the weekend. You're gone for six weeks. And while you're in this training program, your contract says, if you get below an A on a test, that's a strike. And it's a three strike policy. Mm -hmm. 
and I had no knowledge of medical device. And this is, you have to, U.S. surgical, this is heart, this is general surgery, this is all of it. Right. And you've got surgeons teaching the classes at surgeons point, teaching right? the class. Mm-hmm. We had to do a, a anastomosis, a colon, a colon resection on a dog while hmm. we were role playing. And you had to be doing the colon resection. Uh-huh. And I was so ignorant to medical device at the time that I remember thinking, man, how did they find all those dogs that had colon cancer? To, to... <laughs> I hope I don't kill this dog. Mm-hmm. Knowing, did not knowing this dog is, and there were protesters outside, and oh, it, yeah. it was, yeah. it was a crazy environment. But mm-hmm. I will tell you that made me so comfortable in the operating room. Not, not that mm-hmm. anastomosis and doing all those procedures, but just that environment of having to walk in where it says, do not walk in here and they do not want you here Mm -hmm. and trying to make those, those conversions and being comfortable in any room, no matter if it's a heart room or a general surgery room or whatever it is, it, it it made, at least I had that going into Neuromod. Yeah. You know, did they do the whole look to your right, look to your left when you're in the training class? That person won't be here. That person will not be here. Yeah, I've yep, heard absolutely. absolutely wild stories the last and, 20 oh, it years. Oh, it was dog eat dog. And you would have the CEO of the company finding you in an elevator and you just want to get through the day, right? You've been there yeah. for six weeks and he's trying to role play. And there was a part of me that was like, can I just take a quick break? I mean, <laughs> is there any, I was going to the restroom. If there's a way mm-hmm. I can knock that out without a role play with the CEO, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But it just didn't work that way. And I went, so I was there when Tyco bought US Surgical. Mm-hmm. And of course yep. that was a very controversial time, but I went not just to President's Club, but to the Tyco club which is like only one person at u.s surgical and i went three times to that yeah the circle of excellence i think it was called at tyco Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah crazy times crazy times (laughs) Uh, so you get out of training and you're you've been through i would almost call this like hell week what they do with the navy seals where they got to make it through you know no sleep and all that stuff so you get out and it's your first day did you have butterflies at that point or were you oh a gosh, lethal weapon? Yeah. I've never been in an operating room. I mean, <laughs> I've been in a faux operating room with the, mm-hmm. with the canines, but mm-hmm. there was no. And so I remember talking to the person that was running the conversion we were doing at Seton in Austin. And she goes, you know, when it says don't enter, that's where you're going. Mm. And I said, oh, okay. That sounds, that sounds terrifying, but I'll yeah. go. <laughs> And I didn't, you're trying to make sense of all the board on the OR because you're, again, this is a full wide conversion. So everything in the hospital is going, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, suture into mechanical. And I remember looking at, I was at the children's hospital in Austin and it was the, whatever it was for basically tubes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which yeah. my son has had four sets of. And I was like, uh. oh God, it's probably cancer. <laughs> mm. And they're wheeling these kids in and out so fast. And I'm like, I don't know if they need suture. I'm going to ask. Because yeah. I'm an idiot. Now I look back and realize what a dumbass I was on that. <laughs> I was like, oh, this poor kid probably has cancer. And then they wheel him right back out. Inoperable. Inoperable. Oh, <laughs> wow. Tears in wow. my eyes. But oh. you're just terrified. Yeah. But it makes you better. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just, at this point, it sounds like you're just trying to figure out where do I insert myself in this? Who yeah. do I talk to? What's you my know, role? Thing, the things are moving really fast here on this treadmill. And I don't, I don't know how to get in. So you just got, how do I differentiate? You know, how do I make myself different? Cause I don't know that that wasn't just cancer. I thought 
thought it was, but it was too yeah. <laughs> So I evidently I need to learn that. But it was it was a really challenging, but gosh, it makes you good. It's like having the zip yeah. code of Xerox. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. You know, that sounds just incredibly tough. So you're you got that first day butterflies, you make it through yep. your first week. What are you thinking at the end of your first week at this point? I'm in this problem. I was so excited to be in a case. I mean, it was so mm. amazing to me to be in a GYN case or a general surgery case or a heart case. And I felt important and empowered, I think, and mm -hmm. tried to find a way to add some type of value. And that I've done that my whole career. You know, what can I do in this situation, even though I have no idea what he's doing? Mm -hmm. How can I provide some sort of value? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it, it, I felt good, but I felt terrified and those surgeons were mad. They didn't want us there. So oh, yeah. they weren't mm -hmm. inviting us. <laughs> yeah. Was it a situation where Ethicon had the contract and yes, you're absolutely. just trying to find somebody to work? Takeover. With it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a GPO yeah. decision where GPO said our better deal is with this company and you're converting and yeah. here's a 30 day evaluation and you have to sign off on every procedure. And I had doctors, throw instruments across the room. And yeah. I've always had a kind of a quick wit. And I remember telling one of the urologists when he threw a stapler across the room, I said, well, it's not going to work now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're opening up a new one. And yeah. I followed him into the <laughs> surgeon's lounge to discuss it. Mm -hmm. And it, ironically, many years later, he sold a car to my husband who's in the car business okay. and mm -hmm. my husband said I think you met my wife in the operating room <laughs> he said well what was she selling and he told her and he goes oh god Robin Adams yeah she followed me into the surgeon lounge <laughs> <laughs> he never forgot he never nope. forgot that's awesome urologists have great senses of humor eventually. they really do but not yeah. this one he was yeah. not amused and Interesting. and I followed him into the lounge. I, I said, I have to get the signature and I'm sorry you didn't like it. Yep. And you threw the instrument and here we go. <laughs> I you have a job, I have a job. <laughs> people have no idea sometimes how crazy that stuff gets. Uh, even between the reps from opposing companies. I remember oh, I know. a guy yeah. I was interviewing and he had called, he was, he was reference checking the manager potentially. And he called me and told me there was no way he was going to go for the job because he caught a hold of the former rep that had worked for that manager. And that rep told him that he hated that manager so much that the day he quit, he went and found his competitor rep, told him, get in the car. And the guy goes, what? Are you kidnapping me? And yeah, he said, no, get in the car. And he drove that competitor rep around to every single account he had and introduced him. To wow. Him. He said, we spent eight hours in the car just driving around meeting That's awesome. every single account. So I will tell you one of my U.S. surgical tricks that I would do is I would no. sign in a bunch of people when I would go sign in and I would, mm -hmm. I would sign in like I had the VP and like all these crazy <laughs> to scare the crap. And I still do. Yeah. It. I do it now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I usually I'll sign in myself and then I never sign in now, but when yeah. I do sign in, I make a big deal about it and put all kinds of names behind. Yeah. Me. So they see <laughs> like, oh, she's an army with her. <laughs> watch out. <laughs> yeah. Watch out. So at what point in your evolution here as a medical sales rep, did you think I made it? 
or I've arrived, or I can really do this. How? Never. Still never. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. I still don't never. feel like I can. I still feel like I'm maybe, you know, someone's going to figure out I'm not that good at it. <laughs> Imposter syndrome, they call that, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I still don't have it. Okay. Okay. But at what point maybe did you feel like I've got ground under my feet and I'm not, you know, just completely. You know, when I, I was so fortunate when I started at Medtronic that nobody wanted the, the fellows account, the university account. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I did because I knew how to suture mm-hmm. and I knew I could help them there. And they all will still talk about how I taught them all how to suture. They still do. I mean, nice. even the current fellows. And at least I had that to bring to the table. But I was able to be in those rooms while they were teaching the fellows how to do these cases. Mm. And that, I could look like I already knew that, but it made me learn. And then I took all those fellows to their courses. And then I met the key opinion leaders and Mm -hmm. and met all, you know, I heard all these tidbits. And it provided me a lot of confidence in the procedure that I didn't even really plan for. It was just so fortuitous that I decided I'm going to work with the fellows. And so we had six fellows at UT and three at BAMC. So nine a year for mm-hmm. 14 years is a lot of fellows. And yeah. a, a lot of key opinion <laughs> leaders that are scattered across the country that you got to meet because you were at these courses with these fellows. And mm-hmm. it, it really provided me such knowledge on the procedure in general that that honestly... After about a year or two of that, I felt like you could put me in any case and I'm fine. I yeah. mean, it could be a crazy revision with Dr. Whomever that's a nut and putting a lead in somebody's temple and one in there, here. And, mm-hmm. and I was fine because I, I had been in so many of those environments and got to absorb all of that knowledge from those key opinion leaders and the the faculty at the university and at BAMC. And, and I think... That's what provided me the opportunity to do as well as I did. And I didn't plan it that way. Yeah. It just it just worked out. And so I think after that, I felt like, okay, I can do this. You didn't plan it, but you know, keeping with this theme about not being mainstream, you, you pushed the envelope, the boundary. You got yourself in a situation where maybe you thought, Am I in over my head? But I'm I'm gonna go for it anyway. And yep. It, it resulted in in something that I find really fascinating, which is, you know, with you, you've always been really well known coast to coast and you're in a market like San Antonio, which is a good market, you know, but not, some, huge. Yeah. not huge at all. It's not Houston. It's not New York City. It's not, it's not Chicago. Dallas, yeah. It's not Dallas. And yet your name was always very, uh, at, at a certain point became very synonymous with well, what does Robin think about this? Or, or, you know, what do Robin's, you know, customer set think about this? And it was like, Robin's in San Antonio. How's Robin having? <laughs> Why what, are we asking it, about Robin? It, yeah, it was just a really outsized influence, but it was obviously well-earned. And I, I think one of the themes I wanted to pick on was how can smaller market reps begin to build that national brand, if you yeah. will. And you were able to do that. I think obviously the key for me was I was in a education environment with UT and mm-hmm. BMC. So, and I don't think outside of that, I'm not sure I could have had that kind of impact, mm-hmm. but I, I always teach reps when I train them, you know, you're calling on Jordan Chase. Where did he go to school? Is he, where's he from? Mm. You know, do we know someone that was a fellow there or that is a, a fan of Medtronic or Abbott or 
Nevro or whatever it is. What's our connection here? Where did he do his training? Let's do some background. Let's figure some things out before we just Mm -hmm. stroll in there. And (laughs) I think that that is a big part of it. But when you commit yourself to supporting education and fellows and and continue education in general for a physician. Let's say you're in a small market and this doctor is, you know, a couple years out of fellowship and wants to wants to be a KOL someday. Well, let's get him mm-hmm. on that path. I mean, let's introduce him to some people that could help. And um, mm-hmm. how do we do that? Let's figure out where did he do his training? Who do we know? Is there a connection we can make? You know, how do we how do we help him advance? What kind of continuing education can we provide? And those are things I think people those are more long-term gains, I, I guess, is the yeah. way to say that. Mm-hmm. Fellows, are you're paying it forward because you're basically sending a fellow off that is going to do business and, you know, didn't do right. business with us because they <laughs> because of their insurance payer. So it's like, <laughs> you're just paying it forward. And right. nobody wanted it as a rep. They need the short-term gain. Right. But the survival it, thing you talked about. They, they need survival. to survive. Mm-hmm. They got to pay the bills. And so to me, it was such a long-term long-term decision. And it wasn't even a decision. It really was altruistic. I mean, I Mm -hmm. wanted them to get better and I wanted myself to get better. And I became, I went from being like the big sister to, I guess now what the grandma, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) For sure the mom. (laughs) And so, and I still, you know, every year at Nans for years, I had a fellows reunion dinner and it got so big that the companies I worked for were like, we can't, we can't keep paying for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's too many people coming. <laughs> You've got too many and they're all over the country. And it was, it was really fun to, sure. to do that. So mm-hmm. in a small market, I think you have to find your, your brand. And I lecture pain doctors all the time about when they finish their fellowship, what's your brand? And they're like, well, I'm double board certified. So is everyone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're all double board certified. So what else? I mean, are you going to be available same day appointments? Are you going to focus on, you know, spinal cord stem? Are you going to focus on, on Kyphoplat? What's your niche going to be? And as a rep, I think you have to decide, I will always do what's right for the patient. And I will always be honest about how that patient is doing. And sometimes that's not great information coming yeah. back to the doctor. It's not, hey, your patient's doing great. It's your patient's doing really crappy, actually. You know, and, and here's the data. So yep. I think yeah. you have to decide your brand on that. And, and I think if you're unwavering on, you know, I had so many opportunities to replace batteries that they were like, well, we're right here. Should we replace the battery? No, it's a year old. (laughs) Why would you do that? That's dumb. Okay, so that's raising a really great point is I feel like you made those decisions before the decision was ever presented to you, if that makes sense. No, correct. Because I I think a theme with you, you know, and I, I did get a chance to look at some letters of recommendation on you. I placed you in your career before you remember. You did. I know. And the theme is with you is is a, a real uh, strong sense of integrity. Like Robin is someone that operates in the best interest of the patient, flat out, no matter what. And and these are things doctors are saying. You know, yep. Where if uh, the product that she has is not the best product for the patient, she will tell me that. Yep. I think that really absolutely takes them aback sometimes as a customer, because they know you have a quota and they know you're in sales. 
But I think doing that right thing establishes something. And I don't do it for that purpose. I had mm-hmm. I had doctors that were converting all of their business to Nevro or all, whatever right. it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I would say, we don't have MRI and this patient has MS. This has to be metronic. Okay? <laughs> yeah. What are you yeah. doing? You right. know, or this mm-hmm. patient has left toe pain. This is a DRG case. Right. You know, do mm-hmm. a DRG. You know, what are we doing here? And they just... I think that resonated with them, but that wasn't my intention. It would, it right. would be how I would want a patient to be treated, not because mm-hmm. they liked the rep or, but because they were making the right decision. And I think doctors, you know, they get so busy and they hardly can remember who they're seeing if they're seeing mm-hmm. 60 patients a day. And, and so for me to be able to have that conversation and go, Hey, thank you for the opportunity, but this, this is DRG or this is Medtronic yep. or, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't my case. This guy needs a primary cell and I have rechargeable. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he can't operate his phone, so he's probably not charging every day. So yeah. I think those just, that's just you as a person. And you, I don't know that you can teach that as a rep. You just have to always, that's your brand then. You do the yeah. right thing. But I think the message has to be too, to anybody entering medical is you have to put the patient first. You and have to. It, and and it's exhausting in pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is exhausting in neuromodulation. And yeah. and everybody wants it. And they, I love the patient aspect. It's it's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite pain doctors that passed away used to say, if you take away 80% of the patient's pain, remember that 20, that's 100 now. <laughs> and that's correct. So true. it's all that's relative. Yep. Expectations are everything in life. Mm-hmm. You know, this patient was using a walker or in a wheelchair and now they're walking and they're complaining about knee pain and the office is calling you to reprogram. And I'm saying, are you joking? This is amazing. He has knee pain. He was in a wheelchair. Right. Great. That's good (laughs) pain. Yeah. Let's look at the overall big picture here. Let's have some historical data and keep track of that. So, but again, if you, if you put the patient first and, and to that point, I think a lot of reps put the doctor themselves you know, the, I'm mm-hmm. working with Dr. Jordan Chase and I'm going to give him the best price in his office. Now I'm going to screw him when he goes over to Methodist, but you know, yeah, that's yeah. where you have to take care of all aspects of that. You can't just be a friend to the doctor. You have to be a friend to the surgery center and to the, mm-hmm. to the hospital he might attend. And you know, yeah. you can't just do, you can't just pick one. Well, unless the, you know, the folks listening to this think this is just pie in the sky and, and that's great but I've got a on the ground reality. I want you to understand, you know, Robin was rookie of the year at Medtronic Neuro, uh, a star achiever the next year, 135% and won a national award with the fellows program. When she went to Nevro, uh, multiple presidents clubs, 266% in their second quarter launch, 289% in Q1 launch next year. This stuff works that she's talking about. It's just hard to do. It's hard to do. And it, it, it doesn't get you a good conversation with your sales manager on, on that call. Maybe. Right. Not every day. <laughs> Not Long every term, day. They'll be happy because you're winning. Now, at Xerox, but... I will tell you, we had a rep and I, I liked him, but he had a five-year plan. And I remember telling him, <laughs> you, you can't have a five-year plan, honey. <laughs> I'm good for like six months. You've yeah. got to have a six month. In six months, I'm going to need to see some revenue. <laughs> a lot can change in five years. Five uh, years absolutely. is tough. I can do anything in five years. <laughs> moving, I want to just isolate real quick. Moving from COVIDian to Medtronic neuromodulation, that had to be eye-opening to get into this world. What yep. was 
maybe the most surprising thing about making that change going from, you know, as competitive a world as you were in and with the procedures you were doing, you're in tons of procedures, but then going into the neuromodulation, what were some of the biggest surprises for you moving? It it was more of a one-off versus a conversion of an entire facility. So Mm -hmm. I'm not at, at, at Covidian, U S surgical, you know, you're, you're converting an entire hospital that may be worth $20 million, for example, yeah. at, at Medtronic, you're just trying to get one case. Can you just do a trial? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, right. It, just do one case. Let me, let me have a shot. And, and then, you know, back then the prices were way higher, obviously. So, but it was just a very, it was more transactional versus a big picture, you know, I'm converting mm. your entire facility type of thing. And so much of it was more based on the rep than at Covidian. Covidian was based on the GPO. Yeah. GPO says we're using US (laughs) Surgical, we're using it. And luckily you have a nice rep here. Robin is your gal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She has a label maker. She's going to make this easy for you. Um, But this was more, it was so rep-based in Neuromod. And that's that's very different to me. Even now, looking back, I think Mm -hmm. about how much I can influence just by it being me. Yep. Yep. Very and, personality and driven in some ways. It's uh, very personality and ha- habitual and, yep. and uh, now gosh, it's mind share versus market share. Good grief. There are so many devices and products that they're distracted by right. that you're really looking for mind share, not just, not just market share. Yeah, you know, because the minute you walk you out, use my stimulator, it's like, please, can you do this instead of an SI or a Kaifo or a? Mm-hmm. Yep. And the minute you walk out, you know, another company rest, one six of the more. six more might be their next appointment. And now Agreed. they're talking about something else. And, yeah. and they get distracted. They're easily distracted, which is is good because the, the market was so stagnant when I started at Medtronic. It was very stagnant for a for many years, truthfully, until Mevro, honestly, it was a very, you know, widgetry no. market. Yeah. Smaller battery, you know, chargeable, non-chargeable, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was so stagnant. And then all of a sudden, Nevro just put everybody on their ears and yeah. nobody knew what to do. Yeah. But that was the biggest change, I think, was from being a more of a hospital-wide to just a transactional type of sale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that was weird. Take us, this This will be interesting. Um, let, let our audience be a fly on the wall for being a woman in medical device sales or sales in general. What kind of advice did you give Abby? So that, that's a good one. Um, and I think that being a woman or a man in, in medical is not all that different. Um, Abby is a lot younger than I am, obviously. And yep. when I started, luckily, in medical, I was a little bit older. But, um, you know, people make a lot of assumptions based on the way you look. Right. And mm-hmm. that you're going to be able to get all this business because you're attractive or because mm-hmm. you're a woman. And and um, that's true if you're selling pencils. Yeah. I mean, you probably can get a lot more sales if you're a haughty pencil sales rep than a non-haughty <laughs> pencil sales rep. <laughs> but you have to... I, again, it goes back to you have to advocate for the patient and be the person that is a patient advocate and a hospital advocate and a facility mm-hmm. advocate and an ASC advocate. And and yeah. if you do that, as you have to doubly do that as a woman, I think, mm-hmm. to earn your right. 
mm-hmm. into those operating rooms. And you always have to remember, and I've talked to Abby about this, even though she's not in the OR, you're an invited guest in that operating room. And I never forgot that. I always mm. found the circulating nurse and said, I'm Robin, I'm here. You know, I, I know the doctor has seen me and talked to me, but that doesn't mean anything mm. to the circulating nurse. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're an invited guest and they're in charge. You're not. I mean, it's super cool that they the doctor loves you, but it's not as cool if the nurse doesn't like you. And right. so, yeah. and I never intentionally did that, but I always was very respectful to their role and their what they were doing, which is also, by the way, advocating for the patient. I mean, that's yeah. their job. And so I, I think that as a woman, you have to be even more aware of that, mm-hmm. you know, versus just be bopping in and, you know, everybody's excited to see you, et cetera. So it, you just have to be aware of everyone in that entire Right. Entire cycle. And one of my favorite stories when I was at Scott and White in Temple doing that conversion, which was not a GPO based. I just happened to know someone that used to be the chairman at somewhere else. And it was all this domino effect that I was able to get into Scott and White. And cardiac is the hardest from a suture perspective. Mm. And I remember being in with the chief of cardiac surgery and those are long cases. So that's nice. And no one knew that his daughter, who was in high school, was doing a uh, kind of a job as a tech. Mm -hmm. And he told the story for so many years because I was nice to her and everybody else in the room was a jerk to her. And I was like, oh, hey, what do you need? You know, Mm -hmm. I had no idea who she was, didn't know her name, didn't know anything. And and I just went up and I was like, oh, my gosh, do you need something? And she said, yes, I need this. And they're not giving it to me. And I was like, oh, let me go ask the circulating nurse. And. Wow. Whatever. And I remember the doctor coming up to me a year later and saying, did you ever know that that was my daughter? And I said, oh my God, no. (laughs) And he said, why would you do that? And I said, well, Mm. she seemed lost. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was just trying to help. (laughs) Right. I wasn't in there, you know. And he never forgot that. But you just, you you treat everybody with compassion and respect. And and people remember that. Yes. And, and it, unexpectedly you weren't calculating you didn't know i didn't do it on purpose i was like oh that's dr Ryder's daughter (laughs) and i just yeah that's just you going through your day treating people the way you'd want to be treated in that situation and especially in that environment and we forget Mm -hmm. that even though i've been in thousands of spinal cord stimulator cases that patient has been in none right and they're awake (laughs) so Mm -hmm. you know it's a big stinking deal to them even if it's not to me yeah yeah. And and you have to treat people like that. And that's what I think if you ask doctors what they would say about me, it's that I was I was always very kind to patients, even when sometimes I really wanted to not be kind. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I still was. You've done the big company thing very, yep. very successfully. And now you're doing the Robin Adams thing. Tell us about your business. What do you got going? What are you doing? I decided um just uh, that there was a shelf life to neuromodulation and I probably had expired. (laughs) And even though there was a lot of new stuff coming out, I kind of thought, I don't know if I can do that again. Um, So I I partnered up with a good friend of mine that has also been in neuromodulation for a long time. And we found some contracts and are selling devices to the same audience, but, but nothing to do with spinal cord stimulators. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. So it's, it's been really fun. And um, I'm back in the university with the fellows, which I adore. And now I'm completely nonpartisan. So yeah. boy, they have a lot of questions. <laughs> mm. And you've got answers because you know, 
And I have the answers. And yeah. usually they're not what anyone wants to hear. But I mean, as far as the companies go. Yeah. Because it's, you know, there's good and bad to everything. And and yep. so it's fun for me to be back in that. And I've got a cadaver lab coming where I've got four different products. And, wow. and it's fun for me to coordinate all that stuff and and do that again. I don't miss the corporate piece of it, but I sure enjoyed it for 15 years. Yeah. In Neuromod. I mean, mm-hmm. and then beyond that, obviously. But I wouldn't change a thing about about those experiences. Yeah, you did. Uh, I think everything that could be done pretty much. Yeah. I do. And I remember you telling me, I was like, I got to get out. And you were like, just to do a distributorship problem. <laughs> you can't go do well, this again. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just makes sense at a certain point in someone's career, uh, if they don't want to go off and be, you know, a regional VP, area VP or something like that, you know, and why not? you've always been a risk taker and you've always, you know, pushed the boundaries. So why not, you know, bet on yourself again and yeah. get out there and, and see what you can do. And and it sounds like you're enjoying it quite a bit. I love it. And I will, there were a couple of points I'd written down that I wanted to talk about just yeah. because of all the startups that are coming out. Oh yeah. Modulation. So one of the things that I underestimated when, when we launched Nevro was I came from Medtronic and U.S. Surgical prior to that. So I knew the people at Methodist and HCA and everywhere. Mm-hmm. But Nevro only has a spinal cord stimulator. <laughs> They're not on contract. Yeah. And I really underestimated how long it would take for me, even with crazy surgeon champions, where I, I had neurosurgeons in the CEO's office demanding to be able to use my product. And it still <laughs> took 18 months. Wow. So yeah. that I yeah. underestimated. And, and if you're with one of these newer startup STEM companies, which is great, mm-hmm. Yep. You better hope you're working with an ASC because it's going to take a while to get on, on contract. Great point. Yeah. And that was, I underestimated that because I was like, it's Robin on the phone. Hello. And they're like, we know Robin. Is it Nervo? And I was like, Nevro. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Dr. So-and-so is in your office right now. <laughs> so that was a, that was more challenging than I thought it would be. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. That. And, it, it's hard to plan for that. It is. It is. Because it it, it looks like the, a very similar situation to the one you're in, right? Similar product. Right. Uh, yeah. Same customer set. Come you know, on. I've got advocates advocating mm-hmm. for me. I mean, yeah. big the biggest advocates in, the, in your system that do big back surgeries and, you know, you need them on your side. Mm-hmm. And I still can't get in. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. And and so I had to divert to ASCs and 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 get people to buy into ASCs. And so it was that you have to be nimble like that. And and yeah. and to that point, the other, I think the biggest differentiator is understanding reimbursement at a oh, yeah. such an intricate level. Not just your products, but what's going on with reimbursement in general and and what are the trends and where are we moving cases and mm-hmm. you know where their minds are and, and what's going on in these ASCs. And, you know, I subscribe to all those Becker's ASC reviews and I read all that diligently and always have, because you need to understand that wage index to a level that you have confidence. And is there a, you know, secondary code, you know, reduction because it's a, because it's the same code. Right. All those Mm -hmm. things are so critical and you may not understand neuromodulation. You better understand reimbursement. Yeah. Absolutely. And and people aren't as good as they should be on that. No, uh, you know, it depends on the company, right? Because 
some companies have resources yep and they have people in the field even field reimbursement managers absolutely folks like that i've recruited for a bunch of those over the years oh i love them yeah yeah they're they're great they're great some of them work for healthcare plans some of them work for the government directly and they you know their knowledge is at a you know another level but reps can get really good at it too you, you, and um, you should be and you should know that Aetna is different than blue yeah. cross and tricare is different than medicare and yeah. you know deductibles are this and what is their out of pocket cost and mm-hmm. don't plan on taking vacation in december i mean these are things you've got to get really good at that in california they might get reimbursed you know 122% wage index and in laredo texas it's 78 or 68 right. i think I mean, you better know that before you go quote Dr. Martinez that he's about to make, you know, five grand on this case. And he's really not. (laughs) He's making half of that, you know, so and people just aren't good at that in general. Mm -hmm. And and that's a shame. I sorry, my dog is no someone is egregiously walking another dog outside. (laughs) Should not be allowed to happen. Never. Um, So I think that's that's something that I one of the notes I'd taken about what's a differentiator because if you, even if you're not good in the case, you better understand reimbursement. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 be really good at it. The landscape is littered with careers of people that uh, got 15, 20 cases done at a, at a place and then couldn't get any of it paid for uh, or the, the account didn't get reimbursed, you know, even a fraction and, and you're done. Like they will. You're never going back in there again. Yeah. Yeah. For any company. Agreed. <laughs> if they, or, as long or you go open up a battery at Bamsi and see what happens, or touch the fluoro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're not coming back. <laughs> we're not coming back again. Yeah. No, this is great. You know, one you've been really generous with your time here, Robin, and I don't want to keep you all day. But one real quick thing I want to touch on was connections, individual and yeah. family services. You're involved with that. Could you yes. could you share just a little bit of what that is? Because I know you're passionate about that and. I know uh, it's it's touched a number of folks in the community. So so share with us a little bit about what that so is. So Connections is an organization in New Braunfels that I found out about years ago where a child is taken from their home. Typically, these are elementary, mostly they're high school or middle school, and they are taken from their home in an emergent situation in the middle of the night due to some sort of endangerment, whether mm-hmm. it be abuse or drugs or whatever the, the case may be. And they are, they literally leave their home with whatever they're wearing in bed that night. And hmm. I've tried to encourage them to allow them to grab a pair of shoes or something so that yeah. they don't have to try and find so many shoes that are appropriate sizes. And they go to this facility in New Braunfels that is a shelter essentially for hmm. these kiddos. And they show up at the school the next day with whatever they had on and, and unprepared for Yeah, New Braunfels is a great, community, but probably not the best for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because we all grew up together and went to kindergarten together. Um, and so you've got this, you're in a strange environment, you're in a traumatic situation. So Connections is a facility that provides shelter for these kids, food. So I started cooking for them mm. years ago where I actually go into the facility and cook dinner and and it enables me to talk to them about you know, this doesn't define who you're going to be. Yes. You know, let's, let's Mm -hmm. find some other, let's, let's see what you've got. What are you good at? Let's not worry about it. It's an amazing organization and they do so much for these kids. And it is really challenging for these kids to show up at New Braunfels high school, you know, which is a hard place to show up in general. If you're new, 
yeah. if you're an Auslander outsider. I was a, I moved here in sixth grade and I was still the new girl my senior year. Yep. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so for these kids, it's it's just completely traumatic and they have the clothes on their back. And so we we try and provide nice clothing options for them, but really more than anything, tutoring and Sure. I've started a mentorship program where the there's someone at New Braunfels High School who they, you know, obviously no one else knows that that's why they're befriending yeah. this kiddo, but they go find the kid in the in the office the day they show up and mm-hmm. take them around and show them how to get lunch and you know and I try and pick the you know the cool kids and the quarterbacks and, yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> and then we just say this is a cousin or I met him at camp or whatever yeah. And they, you know, I trust these kids. So it's been an organization I've just really felt passionate about for so many years. And when they leave, they don't get to take anything you give them. So mm. I'm a big fan of getting them monogram stuff because yes. they get to take that. They get to take it. That's awesome. <laughs> so they have a blanket yeah. with their name on it, but it's a great organization. And thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had a lot of people write me recommendation letters for that because it's just something very, I, I feel for those kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. You just don't stop, do you? I do not. Yeah. I told <laughs> you guys. She's a powerhouse. Well, Robin, thank you so much for being on. Oh, this has been really fun, Jordan. Thank expertise. you for having me. Oh, yeah. This is a great way to kick off the new year. And we'd love to have you back on this show. We'd love it. Yes. If you would do that for us, that'd be great. That's all I've got. Thank all you right. Well, on. thank you so much again. It was so fun talking and, and going through all this. It's funny if you look at your life in a capsule. Yeah, or your yes, career, you know, nope. which we normally don't do. No, we don't. But here we did it in an hour on a podcast. So I know I love it. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks Robin. for always being a good friend and a good advisor. Hey, I'm here for you. Um, and you know what? Uh, every now and then I may try to drag you away from that business you started. I know. And oh. I'm not a, I'm not averse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Chase MedSearch podcast. I hope that you gained some helpful insight from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and give us a like on your favorite streaming platform. It really helps grow our audience. For more information on Chase MedSearch, visit our website at chasemedsearch.com. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, I'm Jordan Chase, and this has been the Chase MedSearch Podcast.